Thank you. Turn with your Bibles to 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. We're going to finish up, uh, well really not finish up, we're going to start finishing up. Uh, we're going to look at this morning, uh, read anyway, verses 12 through 19, and I got about halfway through it and I, I decided uh, that it's just too much for one sermon. So this is kind of part one from this particular passage. We'll read the same passage and deal with the rest of it next Lord's Day, God willing. But we're talking this morning more about the sufferings of Christ. My, the title of my sermon is The Suffering Christian, and we'll be reading verses 12 through 19. First Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those who also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. That is God's word and my plan this morning is to go through verse 14. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We are thankful for it. We know that it is the truth, that every word of it is inspired, that every part of it is for our instruction and for our good and our blessing, and that your word primarily points us to Jesus in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. And so we pray as we look at this part of your holy, inerrant, and inspired word today that you would guide us, that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, and you would help us not only to grasp these truths with our minds, but to be pierced through to our hearts and give us grace to apply them and be changed as a result of them. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, you know, if you've been here through the majority of the series of sermons, that suffering, the whole idea of suffering, has been a major theme that runs all the way through First Peter. Uh, Peter wrote this letter, as we've seen, to Christians, believers, who were scattered, we think primarily because of their faith, in different locations, and who were suffering, suffering because of their faith in Jesus. You know, we use that word suffer in many different uh, uh, contexts. Sometimes I might say, well, I'm suffering from a blister on my finger. I might say, well, 
my, my mother is suffering from some dementia. Or we say that someone is maybe suffering from depression. And all that's well and good, and we understand what we mean when we use that word that way. All Christians, all Christians experience the pains, the disappointments, the sorrows, the struggles, the frustrations, and the heartaches that go along with living in this fallen world. You see, becoming a Christian doesn't exempt you from those normal experiences of life. But in this letter, when he talks about suffering, Peter's talking about a specific kind of suffering. He's talking about suffering because of your faith in Jesus or suffering because you are a Christian, because you trust in Christ and because you are committed to Christ. Now, the hard part, quite honestly, of dealing with this subject right here in Meridian, Mississippi, in the buckle of the Bible belt, is that kind of suffering is foreign to most of us. We live in a region of the country where there is a good bit of tolerance for those who are dedicated to living their lives for Jesus. So we're somewhat exempt, aren't we, from the ridicule and the suffering or the persecution that other people in other parts of our country and especially in other parts of the world experience. Now, I need to be honest about a couple of things as we proceed. That tolerance for Christians, even in our part of the country, is evaporating. The South will probably be the last area to change But more and more, we see that Christian values and those who hold them are mocked, looked on with disdain, and excluded from the public discourse. It appears that in our country there is an agenda, and that agenda is to oppose many distinct Christian beliefs and positions. It does appear there is a dark Cloud looming over Christianity in our country. And so we need to be prepared to suffer, to be persecuted if it comes, and it seems like that would be the case. The other thing I need to say is that it may be that part of the reason we don't suffer more for our faith is that our lives really don't reflect the difference that faith in Jesus is to bring. You know, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. And it's so easy to do that, isn't it? It's easy to conform. It's difficult to be transformed and really to be different. And many times, to be honest, we just have a tendency. You know what did Bebo say? We're just so nice down here in the South. So easy to blend into the culture instead of being distinct and separate from it. I've told you before, there have been times when I was at a football game when I was just as bad as those around me. There was no difference. No difference in what I thought, what I said, 
how I acted. So much, I told you one time so much. I was so bad one time I had to write letters of apology to those sat around me. Talk about blending in and not standing out. Maybe it's when you're at a social event or a party where you blend in instead of stand out. Maybe it's in the office where off-color jokes are told. In your Facebook postings on the internet. Or in your tendency to be like other people and just do other things on a whim instead of remembering the priority of worship. If we really lived out our faith, really lived it out, we'd probably suffer more for our faith. Even here in the South. You know, Paul said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So the more we really try to live a godly life, the more persecution we'll face, especially in a culture that is becoming more and more intolerant of biblical truth and Christian values. Well, I say all that to bring us to our text this morning, where I think Paul deals with this whole matter of the suffering Christian. And he tells us four things to do. I'm going to look at the first two this morning. And then we'll look at the next two, God willing, next Lord's Day. What does this text tell us that we're to do when we suffer? First, he says that we're to expect it. That we are simply to expect suffering. Now you can tell that Peter's about to deal with something personal uh, or very difficult here. He begins uh, the text in verse 12 by calling them beloved. Now beloved, he says, that's a written form. I believe, of going up to someone and putting your arm around them and telling them something personal or something difficult. Peter wants them to know, as he says these hard things, that he loves them. And he's speaking the truth in love. You know, sometimes the loving thing is the hard thing, isn't it? Sometimes the loving thing is the hard thing. It would have been easy for Peter to say, oh, don't worry about it. This too will pass. It's not going to be so bad. And yet that's not what Peter does. Peter addresses this issue directly. Didn't gloss over it because he knew that would not be honest or helpful. Now we all know that this book, like all the books of the Bible, are written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But they're written in specific historical contexts. And here Peter is writing again to believers who are going through real persecution, who are going to face more persecution. And so he tells them to expect it. Look at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised, he says, at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening uh, to you. The basic message there is don't be surprised. When persecution comes, don't be surprised. Persecution for your faith is not to be viewed as the strange thing, but as the expected thing. It really is. Persecution, opposition, resistance is the natural thing of an unbeliever to a believer, of darkness to light, of one who does not know God to one who does, and of evil to righteousness. I want you to notice in verse 12, how Peter describes this persecution. 
He calls it a fiery ordeal. And he says that fiery ordeal comes for your testing. That Greek word fiery ordeal there is used to describe a painful experience. Suffering intense pain, whether it be figurative or literal. You know, Peter wrote this letter shortly before Emperor Nero's great persecution of Christians that began in A.D. 64. And during that time, there was intense persecution of Christians. Christians, many of them, were literally burned to death. Nero even used Christians as human torches to illumine his parties. There was He was a perverted man who did all kinds of perverted things to believers. It was literally and figuratively a fiery ordeal these people were about to endure. But that same word, fiery ordeal, refers to a furnace. A furnace that was used to to refine metals, to remove the dross, to make them pure. And that's what Peter says this fiery ordeal does for us, isn't it? He says it comes upon you for your testing. And you know that changes your whole perspective on trials and persecution, doesn't it? You realize that there is a purpose in it, that God has a plan in it, that there is a design behind it. And part of the design in God bringing hard times, difficult times, suffering times, times of persecution into your life is to remove the dross, to test you, to see if you really trust in Christ, to remove what is displeasing and to solidify what is good. The ultimate purpose of persecution is not to to beat us down but to make us stronger to test our metal and to make us more like Christ so we're to expect it don't act like it's something strange or peculiar Jesus said if they did it to me they'll do it to you There's a second thing he tells us to do here, and that is to rejoice in suffering. We're to expect it and to rejoice in it. Peter says in uh, verse 13 that we are to keep on rejoicing, he says, in the midst of persecution. Why does he put it that way? Why does he say we are to keep on rejoicing? Well, it's because rejoicing is to be the normal pattern of life. For a believer, isn't it? Paul says in Philippians 4, rejoice always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Believers will be rejoicing people. And the point is, we're not to allow times of suffering, times of persecution, times of hardship to keep us from being the joyful people that God calls us to be to stop us from our rejoicing. Now, from the world's perspective, I know that is a very, very strange response. We live in a culture that prizes happiness, comfort, and pleasure. And anything that is seen to inhibit or limit or diminish our happiness or our comfort or our pleasure 
is a bad thing. Surely nothing to rejoice about. And so again we see that Christianity really is countercultural. It runs against the culture. You see, our values are different from those of the world. Our perspective is different from that of the world. Our worldview clashes with that of the world. And so when we suffer for our faith, instead of becoming despondent about it, we rejoice in it. And in the next couple of verses, Paul gives us several reasons why we are to rejoice in times of persecution. One is because when we suffer for our faith in Christ, we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Did you hear that? When you suffer for your faith in Christ, you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ themselves. That's what Peter says here in verse 13. But to the degree to which you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Well, why did Jesus suffer? Jesus suffered because of his claims and because of his character. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Jesus claimed to be the long-promised, eagerly awaited Messiah. He claimed to be the only way to God. You see, his claim was that he had an exclusive relationship with God. He had an exclusive mission from God and that he was the exclusive way to God. And those claims infuriated the Jewish authorities, so they persecuted him for it. He suffered because of his claims, but he also suffered because of his character. Jesus was different. Different from everyone else. He was without sin. He was holy. He was righteous. He was pure. And the difference is obvious. No one had the kind of moral fiber Jesus had. No one had the obedience to God's law that that Jesus had. No one showed the kind of kindness and compassion and mercy that Jesus showed. No one had a heart of service to God like Jesus had. People looked and looked for something to accuse him of, but they couldn't find it. That's why they eventually brought in false witnesses to make false claims against Jesus. They tried and they tried to find something in him, and yet they could not find it. And his Obedience made their disobedience even more obvious. And so he suffered for it. He suffered for his claims and he suffered for his character. Isn't that the, aren't those the same reasons you and I suffer? We claim the name of Christ. We call ourselves Christians, Christ's ones, those who belong to Christ. We claim to be His people. We claim to have a unique relationship with Him. We identify ourselves 
with him. And it's becoming, even in our country, the just mere identification with Christ and with Christianity brings some repulsion, rejection. But we also, at least we should, suffer for our character. God says, you be holy as I am holy. We're to live with the character of Christ. We're to pursue obedience to God's law as Jesus pursued it. We're to show the same kind of kindness and compassion and mercy that he showed. We're to serve God with all of our hearts. And I guarantee you, the more godly your life is, the more persecuted your life will be. The more different your life is, the fewer people there will be who want to hang around you apart from those in the church. Jesus suffered for his claims and his character, the same things for which we suffer. And when you suffer, Peter says, you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Another reason that we rejoice in suffering is because when we suffer for our faith, we are being prepared for the glory of heaven. Carrie touched on that this morning in Sunday school, talking about the glory of heaven. In Romans chapter 8, Paul said, For I do not consider the sufferings of this life even to be worthy to be compared with the glory that is to come. Folks, when you realize the glory of heaven, it makes it a lot easier to deal with whatever struggles, suffering, persecution you might endure here in this life. Remember what Bebo said last weekend, quoting someone else? The afflictions of this life increase our affections for heaven. That's what Paul is saying. The sufferings of this life are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that we're going to experience in heaven. And that's what Peter's saying here. Our rejoicing when we see Jesus overwhelms whatever suffering we're called to go through in this life. Now it does appear in the text that Peter's making a correlation between the amount of suffering we experience and the joy of heaven. Verse 13, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. The more you suffer in this life, the greater heaven is going to be. The harder life is here, the sweeter heaven will be. The sufferings of this life, I don't care how hard they are, are not even worthy to be compared with the glory of heaven. And then there's a third reason. And that is because when we suffer for our faith, it's a means of blessing. And it proves that we have the Holy Spirit resting in our lives as hard as it may be to see sometimes, 
suffering for your faith is a blessing. Look at verse 14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. The word of God could not say it any more clearly, could it? If you suffer or are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Now I'm going to spend more time on that next week when we conclude uh, this passage. But notice that Peter does put a condition on it. You're blessed when you suffer and are reviled for the name of Christ. If I do something dumb or stupid or sinful and I suffer for it, there's no blessing in that. But if I suffer because of my faith, because I take a stand for truth, because I witness for Christ, because I obey what God says, and then I'm reviled for it or persecuted because of it, then I'm promised a blessing. You're blessed if you suffer for Christ. And then it also proves, Peter says, that the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you are, verse 14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You know, before his death, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to be the helper. Now that help of the Holy Spirit comes in many different ways. And one of the ways the Holy Spirit helps us is to make it through times of suffering and persecution for Christ. Turn with me if you have your Bibles to, to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read uh, verses 16 through 20. Where Jesus said this to his disciples, Behold, I send you out as sheeps, as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, as doves and beware of men. For they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. A vivid description of persecution. Verse 19. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say. For it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. There's the promise from the lips of Jesus. When you are persecuted for your faith, you don't have to worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit is going to give you the words to say to defend the honor of Christ. You know, Stephen is a classic example of that. Stephen was the first Christian martyr, the first one we know to give his life post-resurrection for his faith in Jesus. He was a deacon in the early church. And as he was preaching the gospel, he was given the ability to perform miraculous powers. He's described as a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. He was doing these great wonders and signs among the people. And that alarmed the Jews. 
And so they tried to oppose Stephen, but the, he, was, he had a lot more wisdom than they had. He frustrated them. They couldn't cope with him, the Bible says. And so they had him arrested, drug him before the council. And here Stephen, before the, the Sanhedrin, before the Jewish authorities, before the council. And we're told this. All who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. What could that be but proof that the, the spirit of glory and of God rested on Stephen? Now things, of course, went from bad to worse for Stephen. He, he was given the opportunity to, to make a defense. His defense, believe it or not, was just another sermon. Just another gospel presentation. And we're told that when he was through, the men on the council were so angry, they were literally gnashing their teeth at him. And you know what happened? Stephen eventually was stoned. But before he was stoned, we're told this, but full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Doesn't that add so much rich meaning to what Peter says here? That when you suffer you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you in this hour of tremendous persecution with the council members gnashing their teeth at him, ready to pick up stones and stone him. Peter looks toward heaven and he sees as though heaven parting and he sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at God's right. God calls you to be persecuted for your faith. He will not abandon you. But He will keep you. And He will hold you. And the Holy Spirit will give you the strength that you need in the words to say. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. You talk about counter-cultural. This certainly is. To consider the idea that you are blessed, blessed when you suffer for Jesus. And that you are to rejoice when that persecution comes. But that's exactly where we are this morning. That's exactly what our text tells us. What are you to do when you are to, when you suffer? You're to expect it. You're not to be surprised, not to act like some strange thing is happening. It happened to Jesus. The pupil is not ahead of the, of the teacher. If it happened to Jesus, it will happen to you. Expect it. And rejoice in it. What we read earlier that Jesus said, Blessed are you when you are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And we are to rejoice Rejoice in the privilege given to us to suffer for Christ's sake. Now I'm preaching this sermon as one who's lived, for the most part, a protected life. Hans' parents asked me this morning, well, where, where have you served? Well, I've served right here, folks. I was born in Mississippi. I hadn't gotten far from Mississippi. 
I wandered away and was in exile for a few years, but I came back. I came back. I'm at home here. And you know, I'm kind of protected here. Hey, this is a safe place to preach the gospel. This is a safe place to preach the gospel. So you need to understand that I'm, I'm preaching this sermon on suffering and persecution as one who hadn't suffered a whole lot. Oh, I've been called some names. I've had people stomp out on me. You know, but that's little stuff. That's personal stuff. But it may come. It may come to me. It may come to you. It's surely going to come to our children and to our grandchildren. So we need to be prepared for it, to expect it. And to be ready to rejoice for the privilege of suffering for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is powerful. The power comes from the Holy Spirit who inspired it, who applies it. Father, we don't know what's coming. There are dark clouds gathering. We pray for revival. We pray for renewal. But Father, if it doesn't come, and in this country we experience suffering, real suffering, because of our allegiance to Jesus, help us to be strong, not to be surprised, and to rejoice in the privilege and blessing of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Our prayers in his name. Amen.